Alright everyone, it's time for Season 2 of The Goat Farm. It's been quite a while since our last episode. My co-host Ross for Season 1 had some major life changes, uh, including a move across the country and changing jobs. And I myself have changed jobs as well from chef to uh, a company by the name of Sysdig. And it's exciting for me because my new role really lets me start exploring the world of this newfangled uh, topic, Cloud Native. So... Just a little bit of background about the podcast itself and the format that we're going to take it for season two. So the logistics of running a podcast are few, but they can be complicated, especially with family and kids and life uh, kind of coming up as they do. Uh, One of the things uh, that made it really hard for I and Ross to, or Ross and I, to continue the goat farm was scheduling. Uh, So with our really busy schedules and my hectic travel schedule, it made it really hard to find a common time to record episodes. And, you know, you throw in one or two additional guests uh, as well, and those schedules, uh, and it just makes scheduling uh, a a recording almost impossible. So as I thought about what I wanted to do with this new season, my first priority was to try and make recording as frictionless as possible for my schedule. I guess you could say uh, almost DevOpsing that process. Uh, And adding something to my to-do list really wasn't something that uh, was going to work. But if I could kind of take advantage of the work that I was already doing, uh, and namely my travel, uh, and all the conferences that I go to and and speak at and attend, you know, the places I'm going to be anyway, I felt like I wouldn't have to add much additional work for myself to restart the podcast. The other thing I wanted to think about with the relaunch of the podcast was the topic. So when we launched the Goat Farm in December 2014, there was a movement underway in the DevOps world uh, of this thing called Enterprise DevOps, or rather this falsehood, in my opinion, that this special kind of DevOps was needed in order for enterprises to adopt the patterns and practices of DevOps. And really our goal was to prove that DevOps patterns and practices could fit into an enterprise and that there wasn't this uh, special kind of DevOps that enterprises needed. And so thus we focused on guests doing DevOps in large enterprises for this very reason. And generally, I'd like to thank with the 13 episodes that we had, we had really good content and really good guests that really focused on this idea of how do you implement uh, or how do you go about uh, instilling the practices and patterns of DevOps in a large enterprise. And mostly from those, while it's not a statistically significant sample, mostly I feel uh, they answered that question. Now, of course, that could just be bias um, because I intentionally invited those guests in to prove that point. Uh, But nevertheless, we have a good body of work that shows that this thing called enterprise DevOps is really just DevOps in an enterprise. So I'm proud to give you season two of The Goat Farm. Uh, In this season, we're going to dive into the world of cloud native and serverless, uh, what it means and how large organizations can begin adopting it in their organization. Another change in the format will be the guests. So I figured a way to take advantage of my travel is to interview people I'm around and interact with at all the various conferences, etc. And what I wanted to capture was a more raw, authentic conversation with the guests instead of this uh, scripted Skype, uh, not scripted, but, uh, you know, kind of kind of scripted Skype conversation that we used to do in the past. And so what I wanted to do was just have conversations out in the open with people at the conference over a cup of coffee or at a bar uh, like the first guest that we have, uh, a conversation with Joe Beta. So let's get into it then. Uh, 
In this episode, I'm going to talk to Joe uh, Beta of Heptio uh, at the Lodge in Seattle back in December of 2017. Uh, we'll also talk to Rob Cummings of Slalom Consulting and Tom McLaughlin of Serverless Ops. Both of those conversations were recorded uh, in April of this year at DevOps Day Seattle. Now, the conversation with Joe and I happened, as I said, back in December of 2017. I had just changed jobs and I was trying to wrap my head around this world of cloud native and what it really actually means. I recently saw Rob uh, actually on uh, AWS reInvent and we had a very interesting conversation about how is DevOps evolving, how is it changing, and how is cloud native getting rolled into kind of the operational model uh, for IT and organizations. So in other words, what's that practice and pattern start to look like on a day-to-day basis? And how is it different from the patterns and practices we tried to institutionalize with DevOps? Things like infrastructure as code, continuous delivery, uh, and so forth. Uh, Beyond uh, also the culture measurement and sharing and lean aspects as well, just not focusing on automation. So I posed to Joe a similar question, uh, and I asked Joe, what's a cloud-native operating model look like? How do DevOps and cloud-native exist together? And how do you get into this idea of killing the ticket queue? And so now, my interview with Joe. So in my mind, I think there's one, one aspect of this is operation specialization. Mm-hmm. So if we look at cloud IIS, right, DMs, EBS, that type of thing, uh, yeah. yep. we're essentially taking hardware ops and we're hiding it behind a service. We're creating abstraction layers. Yeah. Yeah, we're creating yeah. clean interfaces to be able to actually say, you know what? Like before ops used to include racking and stacking stuff. Yeah. We've taken that and we've made it somebody else's problem and we've automated it to the point where where we have an API. Yep. Right? Um, I think that when we look at Puppet Chef and Ansible, in some ways we haven't continued to move that level of API-ness up the stack, right? So so for a lot of folks, it's like, here's a VM, all right, good luck with that. And yeah. then it's up to them to actually figure out how do you actually structure and grow teams around these set of tools. Yeah. Thank you. I'm good on food. I'm good on food. So I think, I think a lot of the tools that are out there don't, don't work with organizational structures, right? Right. It's very difficult to take a chef install and grow it up to something that's IT-wide. Each department or each team ends up being its own island with a set of gatekeepers or fragile automation to integrate things. Yes. Um, So the opportunity with with things like containers and cloud native to some degree, well, I think they, they work well together, but I don't want to conflate them. But I think with containers and orchestration, we actually create a, a, a higher level abstraction that's still infrastructure in terms of its building blocks, but instead of being based on physical concepts, yeah. servers and disks, it's now based on logical concepts. Yeah, and you have a much cleaner contract. Much cleaner contract, and that contract ends up being a, lot, a hell of a lot more useful. Um, now, in my mind, cloud native has a lot in common with, with DevOps, but I think it's the idea of you're building software that takes unique advantage of the dynamism available in a cloud context. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think it imports a lot of the concepts of DevOps around, around being able to um, break down those walls between developers and operations and make stuff more operable over time. But it layers on that, like, hey, you know, if we can do blue-green deployments, if we can do, you know, uh, uh, if we can spin up development environments that are 
almost exact carbon copies of production yeah. that changes the way you think about things that make things more reliable. And it makes it much, much easier to do in a repeatable way because exactly. you're taking this logical service oriented view of the world. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah. That was, that was actually one of the things that I was talking to Craig about. Um, when him and I talked in Berlin around this idea of like people don't understand it's still this abstract idea of creating developer services or exposing these services via an API and how powerful of a concept it is. And I think we talk about it a little bit in the cloud native world, but we don't So yeah. it's not obvious to people sometimes. Okay, so right? here's the deal. And and, and I, I was talking to somebody today who has a lot of experience in the cloud foundry world. We need to kill the ticket queue. <laughs> so right now in the typical organization, you file a ticket, you wait upwards of like two to three months, right? Two, two weeks to three months yeah. until you get a VM provision. On the other side of that is some poor schmuck who's like pointing and clicking something in a VMware console. He has a set of like a Word document that outlines what he's supposed to do. It's super error prone. Meanwhile, the developer just wants to get stuff done. He's waiting for this thing. He just says, like, screw it, I'm going to go actually hit up Amazon. By the time the VM actually shows up, he yeah. already has something working on Amazon. And then he dares his manager to deny the expense report on the company credit card when, you know, it comes from. And this is how shadow IT happens. Right. How can we start delivering that API-driven infrastructure in a way that's consistent about both on-prem and, and cloud and start uh, attenuating the reliance on you know, the ticket queue, which is essentially a shitty API with a human on the other end, on right. end, right? With high response times. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a high latency IP, uh, API managed by humans, right? And I think when you think about, like when you say to people, like, look, you know, a developer can get started without talking to anybody, can prove something out in a safe, maintainable, trackable way. So instead of filing a ticket and waiting two weeks, we can do it in a way that 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 really unlocks that, that developer initiative and, and you know, that's gonna be a huge productivity boost across the organization. Right. And along the way, you move from things that are relatively opaque, like VMs, to things that are a hell of a lot more trackable and 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 introspective. Easier to see into because you're yeah. just running processes at that point. Exactly. So I think that's the shift that you talk about and I think it's both it's efficiency on the resource side because you can pack things in tighter but that's really a minor driver for this stuff. I think there's developer velocity. Can we enable developers to make progress? Can we have them start actually dabbling in the deployment stuff before things actually ever make its way to production so that we actually blur the lines between deploying for test versus deploying for production, mm -hmm. right? Which starts enabling DevOps as you start right. breaking down those walls. And can we actually provide better insights and controls, right? So the dream here is to get to a data center where like interactive bash session rang, rings alarm bells because you have an inventory of everything that should be running in that data center yeah. and, and good control so that you can say, you know, hey, this thing was deployed by this person and includes code where we have it in source control with code reuse for everything and you have that level of, of, of you know, um, provenance all the way down, right? right? That's a place that we can get, which is very, very attractive for a lot of companies. Because right now, you know, everybody has in their office that server that's sitting under somebody's desk and you're afraid to turn it off because you have no Nobody idea knows. what it does. Yeah. EC2 and VMware have weaponized that thing, right? We've made it easy to create a lot of those. <laughs> Cheers, by the way. Yeah. 
And so, um, so how do we actually provide the insight so that you no longer have that server under the desk problem writ large? So it's an interesting paradigm shift that Joe highlights. Eliminating ticket queues, infrastructure based off an API or an abstraction, and democratizing compute, or rather the idea of shadow IT. Now, as I've had time to think about the conversation with Joe over the last six months, uh, since I've recorded it back in December, I've had a bit of a realization with regards to the relationship of DevOps and cloud native. DevOps has fundamentally been about this idea of culture, automation, lean, measurement, and sharing, which was popularized by John Willis and Damon Edwards and Jez Humble to an extent as well. Uh, as, they are as the architectural patterns have started to emerge around cloud native uh, and its principles have been defined, there's a tremendous amount of DevOps principles incorporated in the world of cloud native, and that's either intentional or unintentional, I won't say one way or the other. But one of the key principles is probably automation that is uh, shared by both cloud native and DevOps. Much of the automation that you need to write around configuration management tools, as, as Joe kind of pointed out, in VM instances is now all baked into a platform. There's now a generic API into the automation, and thus we remove a ton of waste from the processes uh, using when we use cloud native patterns. And by removing waste, uh, in the end, we end up practicing lean. So while these generational shifts in tech appear to be expensive from the aspect of retooling your organization and putting that cognitive load on them, the benefits of velocity, as Joe kind of pointed out, uh, are very, very well worth it. So next I talked to Rob Cummings of Slalom. As Rob is a consultant, he gets the opportunity to speak to a large number of different organizations. I wanted to hear from him how he's seeing the market shift. Are customers shifting more heavily to cloud native or serverless paradigms? And how, as an organizer of DevOps Days Seattle, he's seen the topic shift uh, from submitted talks to the open space topics, and also what vendors are present at the conference. So now, my interview with Rob. So over the past couple of days, I've been at DevOps Days Seattle, uh, and with me is Rob Cummings, who is one of the organizers of DevOps Days Seattle. Rob, why don't you introduce yourself further? Yeah, sure. Uh, yep, Rob Cummings. I've uh, been co-organizing co DevOps Days Seattle for a lot, the last three years. Uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm a practice lead at Slalom in our cloud DevOps and security group. So we've known each other for a while now. Uh, we've both been in the DevOps community for uh, a long time. And as uh, organizations start to look at things like serverless and cloud native, uh, how has kind of the organizing job as far as choosing what talks you're going to put into the conference have evolved and how is that kind of reflecting what current trends you see in your job? Sure. Uh, DevOps Days is an interesting conference to uh, like figure out what level the talks should be at. A piece of feedback we frequently get is we want more technical talks, uh, then we also get we like the culture talks. So uh, trying to balance that is, is a little challenging. Um, this year, though, uh, we've seen more interest in security uh, and serverless, although the, the lion's share of the talk submittals were containers. Um, everyone wanted to talk about containers. Um, and how does that map into kind of what your customers are talking about and the journey they are on? So it's an interesting journey that I've definitely seen as we're moving from VMs to containers and then to serverless. 
uh, and how are customers beginning to adopt those patterns and practices? Yeah, sure. And, and it depends uh, where they're at in their journey and their size. So large enterprises, typically, they've either gone down the container journey on their own and have it figured out or what they like and don't like about it, or they are just starting the, uh, to get involved in even DevOps and cloud and what does all this mean, and, and they're very early. Uh, those customers I find really interesting um, because they get to learn from the past five, 10 years um, that we've all been working on this and, and skip some of the painful steps. Right. So while they are into the container buzzword, uh, what we're finding is it's easier to get them going sometimes on serverless. So AWS Lambda, uh, Microsoft, or Google Functions um, as a service and uh, get going that way. So why do you think that they're making... Um you know, generational jumps? Is it because uh, they feel like they're going to have to replatform anyway if they move to a containerized platform? Uh, or uh, what's what's the logic behind jumping all the way to serverless? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's such a big shift for them anyway uh, that it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, if, if the workload can be done with serverless, that's great. Um, and typically when some of these enterprises are just starting out, it might just be a, a dev team that's trying to use AWS and trying to build a product and get it going. Um, and serverless today is our, our um, best layer of abstraction for that. Mm -hmm. like, here's my code, please run it. Um, and so they're able to do that. They run into trouble though, uh, once that starts scaling out a little bit, uh, you have to be really good at logs and managing mm -hmm. large amounts of logs. You still have to have a solid understanding of security and how you're going to tie all these functions together and do authentication and authorization. And that's where um, you still need to bring in the, the more ops side of the house in right. these large enterprises. Right. And there was a good talk by uh, Tom McLaughlin, uh, I think I'm remembering his last name correctly, uh, on serverless yesterday that he gave on the first day of DevOps Day Seattle and he really kind of highlighted very well of uh, serverless tends to be more uh, looking at the destination where you're trying to get to versus how do you actually get there and all the things in between and in the middle and a lot of that work changes and a lot of that work has been removed in that middle process to yeah. reduce friction and increase velocity of development teams. Yeah and what I uh, something that really stuck out for his talk for me is he compared going to uh, like virtualizing servers and running an app on top of servers versus uh, serverless and like things that you care about and when you're serverless the things you care about tend to be much more application focused and that's where you're spending your energy and it is a better place to spend rather than infrastructure focused rather than infrastructure focused yep. so having been part of kind of the DevOps community and the DevOps movement for a long time what would you say um, as um, enterprises are still trying to go down the DevOps transformation route. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give uh, towards how do you start to roll in cloud native or serverless practices into that DevOps transformation? Yeah. Uh, I would say it's much easier if you bring those in together. Uh, some of the hardest parts of DevOps transformation uh, is, okay, we're going to work better together um, and we're, we're going to make this happen. Uh, we're going to adopt DevOps. We're going to put in the tooling for it. But in a large enterprises with uh, on-prem infrastructure, 
that that automation is not overnight and can take a long time to put in place and takes yeah. a long time if you're talking this 4,000 person technology org. Whereas if you do put some focus on going to a cloud provider, doing this in a cloud native way, uh, that retooling can happen faster and give you um, faster benefits. Yeah, and if it's one of those things that you're going to have to retool or replatform anyway, um, you know, the cognitive load that it puts on an organization to try and have to do it multiple times, it makes sense to make that yep. further, as far of a leap as possible as you possibly can. Yep. Well, Rob, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, hope you enjoyed the rest of your conference, and thanks again for putting on a great show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been super fun. Rob alluded to a very interesting point. He mentioned the organizational friction around implementing automation practices and, and how many of the ideas of DevOps around infrastructure as code, continuous delivery, et cetera, are difficult to implement in a large organization. And so while this friction can be overcome, it's just much easier to jump a generation or two. So you don't have to worry about that fight. As you move to cloud native or serverless paradigms, that automation ends up being built into the platform for you and you can really kind of free yourself from the organizational inertia that's kind of holding you back. Now for our last guest, uh, Tom McLaughlin of Serverless Ops. Tom gave a talk at DevOps Days Seattle on the challenges of moving towards serverless and the thing organizations need to worry about as they move towards a new serverless type platform uh, for their applications. And now let's talk to Tom. Still at DevOps Days Seattle, and I'm here with Tom McLaughlin. Uh, Tom, you gave a talk. Uh, yeah, well, first off, uh, who am I? Introduce yourself. <laughs> please introduce myself. Uh, so my name is Tom McLaughlin. I am the founder of Serverless Ops, which is an AWS serverless infrastructure and DevOps transition advisory company. Wow, did you get enough words in there? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to hit all the buzzword bingo with that. Oh, there you go. Your SEO must be really high. It's awesome. <laughs> so you gave a talk yesterday uh, that I actually just talked about with uh, Rob Cummings uh, of Slalom. And we kind of talked about this idea, or you talked about this idea in your talk of how the roles of operations changes in a serverless world. And can you kind of expand on that and give the main thesis of your talk? Um, the main, you know, the main thesis of the talk is we're starting to um, stop care about lower and low, le uh, you know, lower and low, le lower things uh, with, on the technology stack. So, and we've been doing this for many years. Let's start with, um, you know, going into public cloud. Going into public cloud was releasing me from the, you know, from having to deal with all the concerns of bare metal. Right. Uh, and this is just continuing. The trend is continuing with Creating serverless. layers and layers of abstractions on top yes, of each other. Yes, layers and layers of abstractions upon, on each other, allowing us to, you know, to keep working up the stack in, you know, in the where the value is. And mm -hmm. so um, if, if your job used to be configuring servers, it eventually became, you know, delivering value to, to, your, to your developers much faster. And now what we're seeing is, okay, Let's see. What, let's be able to talk about how we can actually deliver value to our customers even faster. Like we're not worried about all this, um, all, all the technical plumbing underneath. Let's start focusing higher and higher and closer to the user. And these levels of abstraction give us this ability to. Uh, Rob made the point as well. Uh, we're focusing more on the results of the application, 
uh, and not necessarily the results on managing the infrastructure. And you gave a good analogy. Oh, about that. the, uh, yeah, it's the Grafana dashboard. And, you know, you can find two identical Gra- Grafana dashboards probably in any tech company USA. And at the same time, one might have raving customers while another one has raging customers. And so you really have to start looking at your... Um, you really have to start looking at where is your actual value and what is actually contributing to that value. And your, you know, your your beautiful looking status dashboard doesn't necessarily translate into a happy customer. Right. Um, so you also talked a little bit about uh, how the roles of operations change when you move to a serverless uh, uh, type environment or a serverless type deployment. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit about? Uh, what the day-to-day is and the things that you actually care about as an operations person. So the day-to-day is uh, is, is going to start changing, and we're still working out uh, in different organizations what that's going to be. But, you know, one, one, one thing I talk about is um, we when we started doing the DevOps, we said, okay, we, have, we need to measure everything. And we told application developers, okay, you monitor your application metrics because we're really busy monitoring all these host metrics. And now I'm starting to think, well, if I'm not responsible for all these host layer metrics anymore, maybe it's time for me to take the primary responsibility for application metrics back. I'm not saying that, you know, we, you know, we, we, we go back to where we're just throwing things over the wall. Um, and saying, you know, developers, you're no longer responsible for this. But instead of saying as operations people, we're responsible for being the first line, you know, the first line of defense and understanding, and then, you know, and then, you know, handing over um, work that needs to be done to, um, that needs to be done over to developers to take care of these issues. Well, Tom, uh, I won't take any more of your time. I'll let you get back to the conference, but I thank you uh, for talking yesterday. It was a very informative talk. Thank you very much. Yours as well. Uh, I'll try and link to the slides uh, uh, and also the video recording of it uh, for our listeners. Uh, But thanks again for your time, and I'll let you get back to the conference. Thank you very much. Tom brings back up this idea of the day-to-day shifting as you move towards a serverless platform, which was something that was also touched on by Rob. So it's fairly understandable, as we're no longer worried about some of the aspects of automation because they're built into the platform, that frees us up to do other things higher up the stack. And so can we take that operational expertise, uh, and as Joe said, focus on this idea of operation specialization? So this idea of highly trained individuals that can really attack a problem because many of the other problems are abstracted away from our traditional view of concern. Joe wrote a really good blog post, which I've linked to, uh, around this idea of operational specialization. So as we progress uh, through this season of the goat farm, uh, we'll be looking at this idea of organizational inertia and how we can get around it through these paradigms of cloud native and serverless. I also really want to continue to look in this idea of the relationship between DevOps and cloud native and the intersection of the two. How does baking these ideas of DevOps into our cloud native platforms and processes help organizations through this inertia and to cut through it to move forward? Up for episode two, we travel to Copenhagen for KubeCon EU 2018, where we catch up with Simon Wardley and chat about mapping and the idea of organizational inertia. We also talked to Chris Nova of Heptio to talk about adoption of cloud native and enterprises, and we'll finish off talking to Sebastian 
Goigen, uh, about how platforms like Kubernetes make it easy to build applications with operational best practices built in. Thanks again for listening, and as always, remember, be the GOAT.